Hi, my name is Kyla Bomstead and I'm a member with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to welcome you and say thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe the church is not an event, but rather a, a family that you belong to. Uh, so we'd love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. If you want to learn more about the church or if we can help you in any way, please visit the website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. Uh, we also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. Uh, you can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, Restored Temecula. My name is Herrick. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm restored. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. And if you are new, we are in the third message of a series called Be Ready. The harvest is plentiful. And this morning, um, I am excited to share with you kind of like the, we asked, we kind of asked and answered two questions in the first two weeks of this series. Be ready for what? And be ready for who? or who, I don't, whom, I'm not good with grammar. Be ready, um, for who? Yes, we'll take that, we'll go with that. For what or for who? And, and if you were here, if you weren't here for either of those, I wanna encourage you to go back and listen to them. They were both so practical, so helpful, just wonderful messages for our church in this time. I wanna encourage you to go back and listen to them if you haven't. Um, just as a, by way of reminder, uh, be ready for what? Tom laid out that it was for ministry opportunities. So we have a season of caring for the body of Christ. We've had a crazy 18 months. I don't need to tell anybody that. Uh, so now we are moving into a space of caring for each other, caring for the body of Jesus, preparing it for resurrection life. And then also we're, we're ready for a harvest of new people. So ready for what? Ministry opportunities. And for who? It's the people that God has placed in your life. And there's a whole wonderful little um, diagram. I don't know what you call it. Circles, concentric circles. Your core calling, your church family, your third spaces, and beware of the outer ring. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that, the people that God has called you to. So ministry opportunities and the people that God has called you to and the places God has called you to, that's what we're getting ready for. So today, I kind of have the, the task of sharing, of asking this question and answering it. Be ready with what? Be ready with what? So that's what I'm going to be doing today. That's kind of the direction of the morning. So I'm going to pray first before I, I dive into our text. Now, Father, I want to thank you for this morning and thank you for every single person that is in this room. Thank you for the ways in which you are preparing our church and the people that make up our church for ministry opportunities to the people in our lives that you've brought to us. And I pray that this morning, as, as I open up the scriptures, as I open my mouth, really, that you would give me words, give me um, a sense of vision and power for what you want us to bring to people. Be ready with what? Would it be clear at the end of this message what it is that we are bringing to one another, what it is that we're bringing out into the harvest? And, um, and would we have some fun today, too? I want to enjoy, uh, just get this sense of like, I want to enjoy you. I want us to enjoy the beauty and the wonder and how good you are to us in Christ. So we love you, Father, and we thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so kind of open up our time. I want to tell you guys a quick story. When I was uh, 18 years old, 
I had a really close friend. His name is Mike. And he was probably, I met him in middle school. So I think I met him when I was 12. And we were, for the better part of six years, like pretty much inseparable. We were best friends. And Mike and I, part of what made this relationship work is that we had very similar interests. So my buddy Mike loved baseball, which we've been around, you know, like I love baseball. Um, he's actually a guy that I ended up, we we're both big Angels fans. It's not going to be a baseball, t- actually, there's going to be a lot of baseball today. <laughs> Just bear with me. It's not about the baseball, but we went to the World Series together. We were there at game seven when our beloved Angels won the World. Like, he and I were tight. We did stuff together. We loved hanging out. He's the only guy that I've ever, like, you know, back in seventh grade, I'd be, like, excited to talk to on the phone. And, like, my mom would pick up the phone, the three-way, um, whatever, when we had landlines. Anybody remember those? My mom would pick up the phone. I was like, Mom, get off the phone. I'm talking to Mike. Like, he's the only guy that I ever had that kind of relationship with. So, yeah, bromancing pretty hard, I guess, at this point. But, um, but I love the guy. And um, when college was coming to an end, he actually, he was a really smart guy, very driven and determined. He got into the, the Coast Guard Academy, which, if you don't know, it's, like, it's really competitive to get into. I don't know if it's Ivy League or not, but it's like, it's, it's a top, top school. And a big part of the shift, obviously all of us, when we were 18 years old, looking at college, um, our school was a college prep, so most everyone went to, went to college, there was this sense of loss, like this impending sense of like, we're going to lose what we have. These relationships are never going to quite be the same. And so we were pretty emo at the time, like we were pretty, um, you know, what, get into it, Orange County. We were, <laughs> we were upset about what was going to happen. Our friends group was going to split up. Everybody was going to college and whatever. So my buddy Mike, um, he was the first one who was going to leave. It was going to be like that. And he wasn't just going to any college, which for us, it was like a four-year vacation. He was going to a military academy where his life was going to be like regimented from like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. He literally had a schedule of every single block of time. It was that regimented. So he was going to lose out on a lot of freedom. He was going to lose out on his friends. And so I got to thinking, how do we send him off properly? How do we give my buddy Mike like a proper send-off? And so this idea popped into my head. And as a little bit of backstory, during senior year, um, we would go to play baseball every Friday afternoon at Santa Margarita. If you're familiar with that area, there's a bunch of baseball fields um, down the street from my high school, which is Santa Margarita. And we would just go, we'd play pickup baseball, and we'd have 20, 30, 40 people times, sometimes show up to play. So it was really fun. And so I was like, let's do that, but let's do like a series where we play seven games. No matter what, we're going to play seven. And Mike and I, we're going to be team captains. So it was going to be like we were, we were squaring off against each other. And there was a little bit of bad blood because I boxed Mike once and I beat him. So I think there was this, I loved Mike. The only thing I loved more than, than Mike was beating him up, essentially. And... So we were uh, co-managers, and we're like, we're going to play seven no matter what we do. It's going to be like Mike's farewell, his last hurrah, his chance to be with his friends doing what he loves. And so we start playing the games, and it's like 100 degrees out. It's really hot, but we were having the time of our lives. We have like a little fan base. People start showing up to watch. It was great. And game one goes by, game two goes by, three, four, all the way to game seven. We're tied. It's three games to three. So we were planning on playing seven no matter what, but now it's actually like, this is the deciding game. And so I'm like, I'm pitching. I get to make that decision. So I, I was so excited. I was pitching a great game. My 63-mile-an-hour fastball was really working. 
And as it turns out, we go into the last inning and it's tied. I'm not making this up. This is, this is what happened. It is tied. The winning run is on base. I think it was on second base. And who comes up to the plate? Mike. Of course. So I'm like pacing around the mound and I'm like, oh my gosh, what could be better than sending Mike off, beating Mike on the way out, <laughs> striking him out? And so... I'll, I, I, for some reason, as I was prepping this message, I kept thinking back to that moment when I'm on the mound in this like, quasi-little league field facing my buddy for the title, for like the game seven of the World Series. And looking back, it was really, it wasn't about baseball. There was this sense of like, we created this experience where he got to be with his friends that he was about to leave behind and doing what he loved to do. And it was this kind of painful situation where he was going to leave, uh, there's a sense of loss. And for him, that became sort of like good news that was custom fit for his situation. Like doing that was custom fit for Mike and for what he needed at that time. Why do I say all that? Obviously, I like baseball, so I'll talk about it regularly. But there's actually a point. Today's message is called, Be Ready, Like With What? And so we're going to unpack biblically and practically how we can be ready to bring good news that is custom fit for each person that we encounter in our community and beyond. So let's start with this. What is the good news? What is the good news? So if you have a Bible, turn over to Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 to 21. I need to give you guys a little bit of context because we haven't been in the book of Galatians for, I think, four years. I've spent the last week, I gotta keep it brief, it's hot out there. Um, I've spent the last week just chewing on Galatians, and I think the most succinct way that I can summarize it is like, like this. The book of Galatians, it's written, the letter to the Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was this remarkable man who lived in the first century, who had a personal encounter with the risen King Jesus, and Jesus sent him into that part of the world to go bring good news to people. And what happened was he would go out to these, all these different communities and he would tell people about Jesus and they would form little communities, like gospel communities, if you will. So they would form these little communities or house churches and he would develop relationships with them and then he would write letters and he would, he would encourage them and resource them with what they needed to continue to grow and develop in their discipleship to King Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter, and if you've ever read Galatians, what stands out to you right away is the tone. It is Paul unleashed. Like he's, uh, I've been reading this, this biography called Paul, I think somebody else is reading it, Kevin. Paul, like a biography by N.T. Wright. If you've ever read it, it's like, it gives like this whole big picture of Paul's life. And Paul, and I love this, and I'll just mention this very quickly, it becomes really clear, like learning about Paul, that he was a... He was an amazing man, but he was also a very regular human being. He had real emotions, and he got angry. Sometimes he would blow up, and he would regret it. It's actually an axe. We can talk about that another time. But Paul, in this case, was furious writing this letter to the Galatians. Why? Because the people in that community were in danger of walking back on the gospel, the gospel, the good news about Jesus they're in danger of actually turning away from it. So Paul describes the, the gospel as this beautiful story of King Jesus dying for the sins of the people, rising and gathering a people to himself around a table. 
It's, it's around a table. It's, he's calling us into relationship with each other. And so there was this really important question in the first century. What do we do in terms of Jews and non-Jews around this one table? How do you have people who are under the law of Moses, who are under all these, all these different elements of the, the Torah, including circumcision, what do we do with that community and then this Gentile, non-Jewish community? How do we get them around the table? How does Jesus unify a people? And so now, I've already, you can tell I'm excited about Galatians. I'm, this is way more information than you need to know. So I'm going to read it in here. The important part that I think I want to leave with you guys in terms of the book of Galatians is, is this idea that Paul is saying, guys, you have been adopted as sons and daughters. The gospel is a, it brings together a family. Like a, think of an adopted, blended family of brothers and sisters. And it was like people that were trying to force others to become law observant. It was sort of like the law was like foster care, if you will. It was like a period of being in foster care. It was getting you ready to be adopted. That, that mosaic law that was in the Old Testament. It was a period of preparation for what was to come, which was Christ. So obviously, big, heady, theological, weighty, dense content in the book of Galatians. And if you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. But I was thinking about it this week, and there's something so profoundly simple about it. Let me read you Galatians 2, 20 to 21. This is Paul. He's talking. This is an autobiographical moment. He says this. It's up on the screen here. I, Paul, have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Well, he's putting King Jesus, he's the one who died for me. And as I was thinking about it, as I often do, I, think, I thought of a movie. I thought of Frozen. I've got young children, and that's just life right now. So I think of Anna and Elsa, and if you're not familiar with the story, I am going to ruin it. So fair warning, you can earmuff it if you, if you, don't, want it, if you don't know. It's been out for eight, eight years. Um, so the story of Frozen is a story of two sisters. Really, it's not just two sisters, but it's a family. And these two sisters essentially become estranged from each other. They, they don't necessarily get along. They, their relationship is strained. And what ends up happening is one sister kind of runs away. That would be Elsa. She runs away. She has these powers. Her powers are exposed. She's freaked out. People are freaked out. So she just goes and runs off. And Anna actually ends up getting hurt by Elsa. If you remember, she gets shot in the heart with ice, I guess it was. So her heart starts to freeze or whatever. Yep. I'm on the right track, right? Okay. Her heart freezes. I have watched this movie before. Her heart freezes or starts to freeze. And there's this like, kind of like, like this climactic moment where Anna does love Elsa. She does. Even though Elsa like pushed her away and all, did all these things. And there comes a moment when Elsa's kind of spiraling in her lowest moment. Anna's about to freeze and she has a choice. Anna can actually save herself or she can save her sister, and her sister's about to get um, sliced in half. Gosh. I don't know, how would you put it? 
yeah. It would have, if actually, if it had gone through, it would have been really, it would have been like a Terminator kind of. My point being, she's about to get axed. Um, yeah. She's about to get killed. And Anna, instead of like saving herself, she goes like this and she gets in the way. And she freezes at that moment. And then she saves her sister's life. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? We're all in, we're all in the boat now. And so that moment, of, that moment of sacrifice, that moment of affection, that moment where family bonds were deeply established, that was the moment when everything changed. And when I hear Paul's words, when he says, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, it's hard not to think about Jesus. Jesus is the one who stood essentially in front of our, our accuser, the enemy, and, and the sword plunged into him. It pierced his own heart, and he died. But he died for us, to love us. He gave up his life for us. And here's the part. Why, why, am I, why do I you know, take labor through Galatians and, and this story? Because it hit me today. And in our context, in this place, uniquely, we are going to be prone to a theological, kind of like heady Christianity. For Paul, you don't get any headier than Paul. You don't get any denser than Paul. Nobody knew the Bible like Paul did, in a sense. I'm sure there's, you know, Jesus, and then I think Paul. Like one and two. My point is, the gospel is profoundly personal. It's profoundly personal. It gets us into this space, if we really understand it, where it's like, he died for me, for me personally. And I'm sinful, and I'm broken, and I'm messed up, and my life is messed up. He did that for me. And all of a sudden, that changes everything. Now, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, I'm united to Jesus. His death became my death. His resurrection became my resurrection And now I only know myself because of him. But the context is family bonds, affection, sacrifice, love, personal. So here's my first point. As we're thinking about good news, about how we actually bring good news that's custom fit for every person and every situation that we face, as we get ready to care for one another and to welcome in the harvest, there's something you need to know. Very profound. Are you ready? Point number one. He loves you. He loves you. Right there. He loves you. Do you really believe that today? Like, are you experiencing that sort of love? Where you can see, like, Paul's dealing with, like, a complex set of emotions. He's angry. He's hurt. He's upset. He's like, I feel like I'm in labor, you know, for you again. Um, uh, Galatians, so he's, he's in deep agony and deep pain, and yet, what comes out of his mouth? He loves me. And I'm going to keep going, because he loves me. That needs to be a part of our DNA as disciples, of our church, of our gospel communities, like communities of people who know he loves me. But, second part, How do we actually grow up into maturity? How do we end up becoming this healthy, adopted 
adoptive blended family, the same father, the same big brother in Jesus, how do we become that? How does that gospel go deep? Or maybe better yet put, what gets in the way? What makes it hard? I'm going to read out of 2 Peter 1. I've got verses 3 to 9 and 12 to 13. And the context here, if you read 2 Peter, um, it's, it's a, he, Peter's dealing with a whole bunch of problems, like a lot of objections. There's false teachers that are going around saying things that aren't true. It's leading people astray. So he's, a, he's, a, he's on the offensive, in a sense. But listen to how he grounds the Christian life. Verse 3, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. He says, His divine power has given everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him, Jesus, who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of evil Desire. If I could just pause here for a minute. Here's a promise that you will become like him and that you will change. One of you or two of you needed that today? I needed it too. A promise. You will become like him and you will change. What do we do with that? Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. And I just want to pause right there on on verse 7. Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. As you read the commentaries about these passages and these verses, something remarkable pops up. He's describing who? Who is like this? He's describing Jesus. That's how he's loved us, with affection with brotherly affection, and with love. I just want you to hold on to that for a second. We'll come back to it. It says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, so if you're growing in these things, they're going to keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does anybody want that to be true of them? I want to be useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our... No, nobody wants that. You wouldn't be here this morning. There are other places you could be. I don't know if you know this. There's mimosas and different things that you could enjoy. Like, we're here because we want to grow up into maturity in Jesus. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. That's where I want to primarily focus in on right there. What, stumble, what causes us to stumble? What keeps us from growing in our, in our experience of the love of Jesus we what? We forget. We forget the cleansing from his past sins. Verse 9, right there. It's forgotten, the, the cleansing from his past sins. Verse 12, this is Peter. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things even though you know them and are established in the truth that you now have. Peter's like, you know this stuff, but I'm going to remind you. I think it's right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Peter's about to die, side note, or at least he senses that. I don't have the verses up, but he's like, oh, Jesus told me I'm, I'm out of here pretty soon. And I don't, I'm not upset about reminding you of these things, about reminding you that if you forget, it will impact your growth and your development in Messiah, in Jesus, in his life. 
And when I was thinking about this passage, I thought of Lion King. I haven't used movie analogies in a long time. We're going back to back. Um, I, I haven't watched the new one, so I'm talking about the original, the OG. And if you remember what The Lion King is, if you haven't watched it, I'm going to ruin it. That one came out 27 years ago. So, sorry, not sorry. There's this young... Um, there's this young lion, his name is, is Simba, played by, I think, JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, and he has a father, he has a complicated relationship with his dad, his dad is the king, and his dad ends up uh, actually dying when, when Simba is young. So he's, he's orphaned, essentially, and obviously that has a huge impact on him, on his life, he actually goes off with two friends um, who are something and something else, I forget what kind of animal, a hog and a meerkat, right. And their whole thing is, you know, Akuna Matana, they were just, I just want to forget about it all. That's, that's Simba's like, I just want to forget. I, I don't want to be reminded of all this painful stuff, I just want to forget. And then what happens? Um, he meets this, I guess it was a baboon. Do you, guys remember, do you guys remember the baboon? Yeah. Rafiki, thank you. He meets Rafiki. If you don't like movies or baseball. <laughs> Rafiki um, kind of leads him. He's like, no, no, no. Simba, don't keep running. Don't keep running. Your father's not dead. He's alive. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then he takes him down to this, like, this lake or, or pond or whatever. And then Simba has this encounter with Mufasa with the dad, with the king. Do you guys remember what he says to him? Who's like the, who loves Disney's, Rosie, do you remember what he said? Remember. remember who you are. It's like, Simba, remember who you are. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, like, remember, he speaks a word of identity over his son. And that was a turning point, actually, for him, for his life. Like, you're the son of a king. You're my boy, you're my son. You've forgotten. I think they literally use that language. You have forgotten who you are. And so you've wandered off. And so it was like this big, huge reset moment for Simba. And he steps into his identity. He steps into his calling. He steps into his life as king. And everything changed from that point on. What's my point? Why am I, what's the connection between 2 Peter and Mufasa? The gospel that tells us who we are is easy to forget is very easy to forget. Oftentimes, we actually don't believe it. That's oftentimes our biggest problem. And I don't want to be like simplistic. I know that we have all sorts of issues that we face, things that complicate matters, trauma, all these different things. Brokenness, pain, sorrow, heartache. So it's not to minimize any of those things, but it's to say the gospel, no matter who you are, is very easy to just forget, even if you are royalty, like Simba. And I talked about how these different things that Peter calls disciples to, brotherly affection and love, that's the culmination of it. That's literally Jesus. He's, a, he's our big brother who has deep affection for us and who gave up his life for us. I think Peter's saying, be who you are. Be who you are and don't forget. So here's my second point. 
First point, he loves you. Second point, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the gospel because it's so, so easy to forget. And if we forget, we remain immature. And Jesus loves us too much to let us stay immature. Like he loves us. He wants to see a, a spark, wear his bride, a sparkling, radiant, dazzling, dressed in white bride walking down the aisle. So we need to be reminded. Okay, next thing, last thing. There's another passage that I want to share with you guys where the context, again, much like 2 Peter, is maturity, spiritual growth. That's Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. This is the Apostle Paul once again. So we have Paul, Peter, Paul. And the letter to the Ephesians is remarkable. I don't have time to unpack all of it. But at the center of this letter is this call to maturity. Big, big gospel story. Jesus, who died, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's, it's, incre- it's like hard to describe the extent. It's cosmic. Jesus, is cosm- his work is cosmic. He's renewing everything. He's renewing all things. It you just, again, doesn't get any headier, any bigger than Paul. This is what Jesus is doing. Actually, Paul Grieve preached a great message on renewal. So he's, he's talking about that sort of thing. And it brings people who are totally unlike each other together. Jews and Gentiles in that context. Not that it's a one-to-one, but if you can imagine this, a table with progressives and conservatives together around King Jesus. Or two, tribe, two warring tribes. We're going to get around the table together around King Jesus. African-Americans around the table. Everybody around the table for King Jesus' sake. That's Ephesians. And here's, here's the, the center of this. Right at the heart of it, it says this. Here are the verses, Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Speaking, the, and this is spiritual maturity is the context, how to grow up. Speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Every single person has something to contribute. Every single one. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your role is. If you are in Christ, you are vitally important and essential for the building up in love of the body of Christ. We won't grow up into maturity without speaking the truth. And what truth are we meant to speak to each other? It's the truth about Jesus. So we can grow up into maturity in Jesus. He says that later in that passage as well. So I just want to ask the question, what does that look like? What does that look like? Are you guys tracking with me? We speak the truth and we grow up into maturity. We forget how loved we are. So we need one another to remind each other of these things. If you are new, you may not have heard of this book. If you've been with us for a while, you've probably heard of it. It's a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. He's a guy that we pastorally like, really trust and admire. If you forget everything I say today, just remember one thing. Get this book. <laughs> it's, it's, it's better. It's, it's uh, whatever. Read this book. And he calls it Gospel Fluency. He calls what we're talking about today Gospel Fluency because it is a new language that we get to use we get to talk to each other. We get to talk to each other about the truths of Jesus. Has anybody ever learned a language in adulthood? Yes. 
What was that like at first when you start talking? Awkward. Why is it awkward? Uh, it didn't feel natural. It didn't feel natural. Yeah. Who else? Anybody else? Different experience or the same? Same. same. Great. Awkward feels unnatural. That's how I felt when I started speaking French in high school. I think I, I waited. Uh, the ship sailed um, when I was six, but I waited until I was 16 to get into French. And so it was awkward and uncomfortable, and I spent four years, actually more than four years, I think it ended up being six years speaking French, and at the end of it, I was able to order a ham sandwich in Paris. Um, I don't know that I could do it now. Um, with all that said, learning a new language is awkward. It's, it's weird at first. It feels very strange. Anybody who learns a new language, especially in adulthood, what are the, what, what's the key to actually growing up to be able to speak it fluently? Immersion. Yeah, you practice. You just, you move, to, you move to France and then you just start ordering ham sandwiches every day. <laughs> Whatever. Um, it's immersion. And so God, Jeff Vanderstelt talks about gospel fluency as this sense of like, we, need, we can grow to speak the truths of the gospel to each other over time. We want to have like a language immersion, a new language immersion. That's kind of like what communities are. And so what does this look like? Here's, I'm going to read from, I'm going to just quote Jeff. Because he's done this, he's done so much good work on this, and he's really challenged me in so many ways. So he uses the example of the gospel and finances. The gospel and finances. So this is just from his own teaching. And he, he, he says, I feel concerned about the way that we typically approach uh, finance in the church. And he says, when was the last time you counseled someone with finances and you said, okay, before we go anywhere, before we do like helpful things, like setting up a budget and different things, those things are good. But before we get into that, I just need to let you know that the God of the universe has all the resources that you need today, that you are a co-heir with Christ. Okay, just as a starting point, what's that like for you? God has all you need, you're a core with Christ. What's the implication there? Are you poor or rich? You're rich. Therefore, you were as rich as you could ever imagine, that he who was rich became poor so that in his poverty you might become rich. That's straight out of the New Testament. It's Paul's language. So that you should make, so that should make you the most generous and eager to give because you know that even though he lost it all, he got it all back. Let me just ask you do, you know how, do you know much about first fruits? Because Jesus is the first fruit of a new creation. And this like rich theology. It's not just like do this, don't do this. Get, it's, it's really like be renewed in your mind. Start thinking a new way. And the cool part is that Christian community gets to do this together. It's not just you figuring this out on your own. It's like us working together. God was willing to give his own son so that with him, he might take in everybody else. Do you know that idea of first fruits, that, that you give the very best that you have, trusting that God will complete what he started in your life? That's a very different thing. It's just like, you, just, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this. It's literally connecting you to Christ, with connecting mon your money to Jesus. And that's just one example. There's so many. It's just one area of life. You don't have to worry about your provision tomorrow because when you give it to him and trust him with it, he will give you everything you need. 
how will he not also with Christ give you everything, every good gift? Again, this is all straight from the scriptures, but it's being spoken. It's the truth of Jesus being spoken specifically to a situation. What's my point? We don't, we, we can, we don't want to be a church or community, gospel communities that put faith in a strategy or in human wisdom, but in God's son, who loved me and gave up his life for me. And the community is actually here to help me connect the dots. You, me, we're here to help each other connect dots. I'm going to read one more story. This is the last one for today that I think really illustrates this well. So you're sort of like, okay, what does that mean in community? Because Jeff Vanderstelt knows a lot about the gospel clearly, but this is like a foreign language, which obviously takes time to learn. But here's what it looks like. I've actually read this story once before during one of the video messages. So if you've heard this before, just enjoy it again. If you haven't heard it before, you're welcome. I think this is a good one. This is called Jesus is the Better. And it goes like this. Imagine a scene. I talked about the table that's around Jesus, right? The table that brings, where Jesus has brought people together who are very different around this table because of what he's done for us to worship him, to love him, to enjoy life and to grow together. So imagine people around that table and you hear this. I can't stand my job. I've been there for too long to be treated like this. Ever heard this before? Ever felt this before? Pretty common. We had just started eating dinner at our weekly missional community family meal. In other words, their version of the Lord's Supper that we have here with our GC. When, our members started un- when one of our members started unloading her frustrations about work, I should have received a raise a long time ago, and I'm still in that same position that I started in two years ago. She went on to say, My boss keeps telling me I'll eventually get a promotion, but it seems as if I keep getting overlooked. I'm just really tired of this. I'm ready to quit. And she continued to kind of share her frustrations about the working conditions and poor benefits and the fact that her coworkers are not helping because most of them have bad attitudes and poor work ethics. Work, poor work ethics. With that said, this kind of conversation is so, super normal in the life of a community. It's just normal stuff. And really, it's, it's common in life of any community. We struggle with work and we want a place to vent. Right? We struggle with pain and frustration in our relationships, and we need a place to unpack that. Roommates get on our nerves. Finances are not always abundant or predictable. Parents wound us or let us down. Children do the same. So we have plenty to talk about and complain about. So Jeff says, at these times, we need to remind ourselves and one another that Jesus is better, that he's the better boss. So typically in a gathering like this, the initial response to our sister's complaint might actually be more complaining. I know what you mean. My job sucks, too. You deserve better. Your boss doesn't know what he has in you. Maybe one day he'll wake up and realize what an incredible person you are. Yeah, well, it might be too late when he does, because if I were you, I'd quit. And so, by the way, this is just normal. This is just the way that conversations go. So if this is you, this is me too. This is just what comes out of us naturally. Jeff argues, and I think if we think about it from the perspective of speaking the truths of Jesus and love to each other, I agree with him. We can give people something better. We can give each other something different. A a community committed to growing in gospel fluency together doesn't respond like everyone else. We have good news to bring to bear on the difficulties of life. Sure, it's good good to enter into someone's pain and struggle with empathy, and I 100% think that's important. We hear what people are going through. It helps when we connect the dots to our own life and the ways in which we've also experienced that kind of pain. And, and then we step in to act when it's appropriate. That's a really good thing. Empathy is a wonderful thing. He says, however, we also have good news to give. So part of this is 
We listen, we understand what people are going through. We connect the dots in our own heart in terms of like how I've experienced this before myself. Not just that you have to tell them, but you feel it with them. And then it's like that next step. What does it look like to actually help? How do we help each other? Sometimes nothing's gonna be, it's just you just sit in silence because someone's experiencing deep loss. So this isn't, there's a lot of wisdom required with this. Um, but he's making the case, we, we should be ready with good news when those opportunities come. And this is what it looked like in their GC, in their gospel community. Someone said, you're forgetting the gospel. Second Peter. You're forgetting the gospel. You're forgetting what is true of you because of Jesus. Mufasa. I was so encouraged when I heard this. I think they're starting to grow in gospel fluency. They're starting to talk the gospel. She continued, I know you might believe you deserve better pay. You're a good worker at your job. But I want to remind you that what we all deserve apart from Jesus' death, we, apart from his death, is we deserve death. That's what we deserve. When, I, when she said this, I remember times when my children, while riding in our minivan in climate control comfort, while sitting in reclining leather captain seats and watching a DVD on the other drop-down menu given to complaints. I don't like this movie. She's too close to me. It's too hot. It's too cold. Anybody been there before? Mm-hmm. Sounds like Tuesday. <laughs> At these times, I would often stop the minivan and ask them a question. What do you all deserve? And in unison, they would say, death. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> I would say. Because of our sin, we deserve death. But because of Jesus' death, we get to live, not just today, but forever. You're alive. Thank Jesus for that. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for your life. Are you guys thankful? Yes. <laughs> You might think I'm a bit extreme, maybe, is what he says. But it's true, we don't deserve what we have. We're so blessed. It's amazing how quickly we forget these things. It's easier to give thanks when we remember what we've received. I found gospel thankfulness to be a great counter to gospel, to complaining. The woman, another woman in our group piped up, you deserve death, but God has given you eternal life through Jesus Christ. You're getting far better than you deserve. And don't forget the promotion you've already received, someone else chimed in. So this is the community. This isn't like Pastor Jeff. This is like everybody. You're in pri- you were imprisoned and enslaved under the rule of the devil, and Jesus not only redeemed and delivered you out of slavery to sin, but through him you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Talk about a promotion. That's scripture, by the way. You've been seated. It's true of you. Your royalty. If you believe in Jesus, that's the truest thing about you. That's not all. Another member spoke up. And I love this because it's like different people getting the gospel and like just piping up. Your boss may not recognize the work you're doing. He might not build you up with much, build you up much with his words, but Jesus is presently speaking far better words about you before the God the Father. Sure, it's, it's great to get your boss's approval. That's, it's a wonderful thing, but you don't have to have it because the God of the universe who created your boss is giving you his approval in Christ. It's sort of like it gets to a point where it's like, is that enough? Not like in a mean way, but it's just sort of like I I need to ask myself the question, is that enough for me? And it goes on and on. You have an incredible benefits package, and it goes on and on. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus is the better boss. Assuming that this person felt heard and understood in their pain, how do you think that would go for them if that's the kind of response they got in their community? Would they feel lighter? Would they feel inspired to like love Jesus despite the challenges? I think so. I think they would. Would they kind of get to the point where it's sort of like, oh man, I'm being kind of ridiculous. (laughs) I have so much to be thankful for. 
I think it would. The fact that they had fun with it, I think, leads me to believe, like, yeah, you guys are right. (laughs) You guys are telling me the truth. I receive it. All right, I want to serve at my job. I want to respect the people there, and I don't want to stop complaining and whatever. There may be action steps to take, but not before the truth of the gospel is clear. So I have three questions. I think they'll be up on the slide. To ask, if you're thinking about this, like how do we do this in community? There's three questions that I, um, I, that should be up there, that I think can help anybody or any community actually think this stuff through. When pain points and problems and complaints or whatever uh, arise. Number one, these are very simple. What does the gospel have to say about this? about this situation, about this person? What does the gospel have to say about this? Number two, especially when you're thinking through like a perspective, does this agree with the gospel? Does this agree with the gospel? Number three, what truths about Jesus does this person need to hear right now? What does the gospel have to say about this? Does this agree with the gospel? What truths about Jesus does this person need to hear right now? What's my point in saying all of this? The work of growing up in Jesus is profoundly relational. It happens alongside others. So here's my third point. You ready for this? Let's help each other out. Let's help each other out. You have a unique role to play. You're uniquely gifted to actually speak good news to people. And you need people to speak good news to you because we forget. What did we forget? We forget that he loves you. We forget our true identity. So we need to be reminded and we get to help each other. I think as we do that, we'll be increasingly ready. The series is called Be Ready. So I think we'll be ready for ministry opportunities where God has called you to. With what? Good news that is custom fit for each person and situation. So I'm going to close it with this. We can call the band back up and um, the ministry team over here to this side. I started off with a story about my buddy Mike, who's about to go off to the Coast Guard Academy. I'm standing on the mound. Mike is up. The series is on the line. I'm sweating. It's really hot. I'm like reaching for sunscreen to put a little something on the ball. Little extra zip on it. And um, I unleash, I think, the best pitch I ever threw. It was on the corner, 64 miles an hour. (laughs) And my buddy Mike takes a step and just serves it into right field. Winning run scores, dogpile on Mike. And we have this picture that we all took afterwards. And it's a picture of Mike with all of us. And he took his picture with him to the Coast Guard. What did that picture capture? I think what that picture captured is the the cry of every disciple, every gospel community. You are loved, and we are here to remind you of that. You are loved, and we are here to remind you of that. I'm going to call Tom up. Tom's going to go ahead and set up our our response time, but I just want you to remember, if you don't remember anything else, get the book, number one. Number two, 
as gospel communities, as my intro to GC, where are my people at? Yep. <laughs> Danielle's here. <laughs> as my intro to gospel community for everybody, what is our job? You are loved, and we're here to remind each other of that. I feel like there's like 12 takeaways from your preach, dude. Thank you. So practical. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. We're going to move into our response time. Britt, if you want to sit, you're totally good, girl. got about 15 minutes. And so my question for each of us and my question for myself is what are we going to do with this? <clears throat> because again, we can be people who have great content. We can have access to wonderful books, wonderful teaching. We can even, even take moments where we set aside time to, to be inspired in a moment to, to live in a certain way. But then what? Where, like the rubber meets the road somewhere. <clears throat> James talks about how faith without works is what? Dead. So we can say we trust in Jesus, but if our, in other words, we can say we trust in Jesus, but if our actions don't reflect that, that's not true faith. It's not saving faith. It's something different. And I think maybe there's a lot of profound things that, that JB blessed us with this morning. I think maybe the most profound thing is he just showed you how. Faith without works is dead. Trusting in Jesus by speaking the truths of the gospel to each other in love. Because let's be honest, like there's times when there's people in our life where we, we see them walking out of step with who they believe that they are at a core level, right? That they're walking out of step with who God's made them to be and who they would say they, or how they say they would say they should operate and act. And it's like, oh gosh, do I talk to them about that? It's like kind of awkward. And like, what if they reject me? But there's something about love that says, I don't give a rip. I love you. I'm, I'm with you no matter what. I'm with you if you get upset with me about it. I'm with you if you try to reject me. Like I'm not going anywhere. And, what, and the phrase that Herrick left us with, you're loved and we're here to remind you of that. I can't, I can't help but ask the question, like what if we actually lived that way? How beautiful, how safe, how protected and guarded would you be as a person? I can't think of a better environment for you to thrive. Dare I say, that's what a family is. It's an environment where you can genuinely be yourself and your loved in that. Not like where your um where where your sin is like, oh that's fine, like no big deal. Like no, not where we minimize sin, but where we genuinely love each other. And so I don't know, the biggest thing I think that we need to kind of spend some time dwelling on <clears throat> is the you're loved. And we're here to remind you of that. So where would you do me a favor? Would you just kind of close your eyes? just for a moment, not to be overly religious, but I really feel like we need to reflect right now. So just everybody's eyes are closed. <clears throat> We're not earning points with God. We're not trying to uh, get something from him. 
He's gracious. But I genuinely think there's areas in our lives where we have to reflect. And I feel like the Spirit is highlighting one specific thing. What's keeping you from receiving the love of God for you? The gospel, Herrick's whole message. Christ loves you and gave himself for you. Not, for, not just for the person next to you, not just for people that you know and love and care about, but you. What is it right now in your life? Spirit, bring it to their mind. What is it for you that is keeping you from receiving that truth? Waiting just a moment. Grab a hold of it in your mind. That's what we're going to spend the next 10 to 15 minutes surrendering to the Lord. The band's going to minister to us, going to reinforce the truths of the gospel in our praise. And that thing that you've highlighted, the thing that's keeping you from receiving his love for you, that's what we're going to surrender. Because if we're going to be people who actually reinforce with others, we're here to share with you and remind you that you're loved. We need power to do that. And the only way we're going to get power to do that is by receiving the gospel for ourselves. It's like we talked about a couple weeks ago about like, you got to put your oxygen mask on first when the plane has an issue. (laughs) Let us be people who receive the love of the gospel so like Herrick so clearly gave us handles to do so that we can consistently remind each other. Will you guys just minister to us and and we'll take some time and then I'll come up and close us in a bit. Okay, guys? All right. Um, I want to share a picture and then we're going to kind of give you an opportunity to receive prayer and kind of I think there's still some more things that God wants to do in some people's hearts so we want to facilitate that um, so the picture I got was of barbecue does anybody in the room enjoy barbecue can you please put your hands high if you do okay I'm not trying to pick on vegetarians or vegans in any way uh, but here's the picture I've got for those of you guys that enjoy barbecue you've prepared a cut of meat before with a rub have you not if you're not familiar with the rub, what a rub is, it's like just think spices and those kinds of things, right? And I'm not a gifted cook. I'm not a gifted uh, like barbecuer, pit masters, I think is what they're called. But what I have done before is I have spent the time to do everything that I can to get the most flavor out of that meat as possible. And what, what I've been told is you take your rub, your spices and stuff, your unique blend, and you literally rub it into every single nook and cranny of the piece of meat. And to do that, you get the most flavor out of the meat. And the sense that I get for each of us is that God wants to rub the gospel into every single area of our heart. I'm talking everything. Nothing's off limits. Like cover the whole thing. Apply it to the whole thing. I think of marriages in the room. God wants to literally rub the gospel into every single space of your marriage, in your relationships, with your friends and your family. He wants to rub the gospel into every single area, every nook and cranny of your relationships. For you to experience everything that God has for you in life, all the flavor, if you will, the best flavor, 
The best rub is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I feel like he wants to bless us with that, friends. But what it requires for each and every one of us is that we would take the time and the effort to actually do that. Because you can grab the piece of meat and just throw it on the grill or whatever, however you want to cook it. You can do that. And it will be okay. It will, be, it will taste okay. But it won't taste near as good if you prepare it. And this whole series is about being prepared. It's about us being ready. We're talking about for what? For ministry opportunities when they come in the church, outside the church. That the people in our, in our life, in our, in, our, in our spheres of ministry, we did that a couple weeks ago. And then Herod gave us super practical um, handles of being ready with what? Of being ready with the rub of the gospel and rubbing it into every single nook and cranny of every single area of our heart and the heart of the people around us. And so what I want to do is I just want to simply kind of soft close us, pray that over us and charge you. Let us be people who actually experience the deep and profound, tasty flavor of the life that God has provided for us and the life that he calls us to. Can we do that? Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for every single person in this room, myself included, that you would make us experts on what the good news of Jesus has to do with every single area of our life. You came to renew all things. All things. So would you teach us? Would you help us? Would you guide us to be men and women who become experts on the intersection between the love of God and the reality around us? through the good news of the gospel. Bless us, Lord. We are receiving. <laughs> That's part of our purpose is to receive your love at all times. And we get to help each other by offering each other the best news ever. So help us. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Before I kind of dismiss you, I want to make the ministry team available to you. They're over here. Felt like God wanted to do something corporately for a moment, so we stayed, we stayed kind of in that space, but I still feel like there's a handful of you that there's, there's something that's weighing up just a little bit heavier on your heart this morning. I feel like God's he's stirring it up. He's like bringing it to the forefront of your heart, and I think he wants to meet with you and bless you in that, so please, trusted men and women off to the side. You can do that. If you need to maybe even send a, a friend or a spouse to pick up kids, we can totally facilitate that for a little bit longer, but I want to make sure you take advantage of that before you go, okay? And love you guys so much. What a privilege to be in his presence together, huh? All right. Thank you guys so much for blessing us. So beautiful. All right. Enjoy your Sunday.